You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Today on Recode Daily, we are sharing an episode from Peter Kafka and our friends at Recode Media. Peter recently spoke with Shira Ovide, author of the OnTech newsletter at The New York Times, and they talked in part about how social media is an accelerant for both good information and misinformation, and also how Congress is struggling to pass targeted but effective legislation to deal with the fallout. So here's Peter and Shira. Let's talk about Facebook first. You're basically saying, hey, Facebook's responsible for a lot of stuff, but they're not responsible for everything. And when we make them responsible for everything, we take everyone else off the hook. Want to just spell that out for me? Yeah, and I think this specific piece you were talking about was about this tug of war with the White House mm-hmm. over misleading information about vaccines online. And I think there is a, a legitimate debate now, and, and there should be a nuanced view of why do people make the decisions that they make, whether that's about getting vaccinated with the coronavirus vaccines or about believing in this lie that President Trump was the rightful winner of the election. You know, I I think it's easy and understandable to say there's a bunch of garbage on Facebook or elsewhere online. It's difficult to kind of tamp that down and Facebook um, arguably hasn't done enough to do that. And so... I mean, nobody's saying it's all Facebook's fault, but I think Facebook takes a a lot of blame. And again, some of that is deserved, but I do wonder if, you know, Renee DiResta, who sort of studies um, vaccine misinformation and other kinds of misinformation, talks about this like whole of society problems, right? That there's not like one bad tweet that makes you think, I don't need a coronavirus vaccine. It's Facebook and it's Rupert Murdoch, right? And it's Donald Trump. But is there something about 2021 and the fact that so many people are so resistant to getting a vaccine that can literally save their lives? And we don't recall having this sort of anti-vax debate about penicillin. I mean, obviously, there's always been people who've been resistant to this stuff. It seems like tech, if we if we include cable television and ways of disseminating that stuff as tech, then yeah, that is a tech problem. That is, I mean, maybe not just Facebook, but there is something about our information systems that makes it more difficult to get good information to, to balance out the bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I sort of think of it as, a, as an accelerant of everything, right? It's an accelerant of good information. These online communication tools where people can, say, broadcast anything to billions at the push of a button. And it's an accelerant of bad information. And I just don't know if you can tackle a complex problem without looking at root causes about, well, let's see, if people have lots of good reasons to mistrust the healthcare system and government that feel like I haven't had healthcare and every time I go to the doctor, it costs me gazillions of dollars and the doctor treats me like garbage or I've never seen a public health worker in my life except now when they want something from me, right? 
you know, there's all kinds of root causes of mistrust in authority that don't get solved if you just blame Facebook. So I, I'm just saying blame Facebook and. Yes. I mean, I think one thing we had the version of this after the 2016 election, it must be Facebook's fault, either because they misled people or they allowed the Russians to do it. It's is Mark Zuckerberg's fault. We have Donald Trump. You know, I think one of the things that we're always very uncomfortable thinking or and certainly saying out loud is, you know who did this? Tens of millions of Americans decided to do this. And so if, you know, if you think they're all deluded or made a terrible decision, and I do, like, you have to live with that. And that's actually much more uncomfortable than thinking Mark Zuckerberg is doing evil things in, in California. It's that so many of your fellow citizens are so far apart from you in the way they view the world. And sitting with that is very, very difficult. It is. Um, and it's much easier to point at Murdoch or Zuckerberg or blame your villain. Yeah. Who, I mean, are, I, who are, by the way, villains. Yeah. I mean, I will cases. also um, give a shameless shout out to my colleague's book about Facebook. Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kong wrote this great book, uh, An Ugly Truth, that digs basically into the last five years of Facebook, including the 2016 disinformation campaign. And I think, you know, even if you have followed that recent history closely in the pages of the New York Times and elsewhere. I think it's still illuminating about the ways that, you know, Facebook's choices really influence the world. And again, not just in the United States, but in Myanmar and in U.S. foreign policy and now in our healthcare policy. It's just, it is an enormous amount of power in the hands of really one person, right? Mark Zuckerberg basically is the de facto dictator of Facebook. And it's a lot of power in the hands of one man. Yes, which he frequently says he doesn't want. He says, I don't want to be the decision maker. Well, I don't want to do this. This is I shouldn't, how we structured I, the company. This is a government should be doing this. The Facebook yeah. oversight board should be doing this. And I get very frustrated with that argument. Um, and and look, he's not machine. wrong. I mean, I, I do wonder to what extent some of the frustrations about uh, about Facebook and, and Google and Twitter and others is really a frustration with inaction by Washington, right? That we don't have a comprehensive federal privacy legislation. Members of Congress kind of hammer Facebook and, and Google and Twitter and others over what they perceive as shortcomings in taking down too much or too little content, depending on what side of the aisle you're on. And yet, you know, they haven't been effective in passing laws overseeing those companies. And that is their job. Their job is to sort of make guardrails around corporate behavior and that's say this is where the bright lines are. And they yeah, haven't really I do done I do that. think that that I mean I'm I'm still remain skeptical we're gonna see significant change coming out of Washington for a bunch of structural reasons. But also I just think that some of some of what we want to fix isn't fixable, right? Like a lot of the anger about Facebook is that we find a lot of people believe they helped elect Donald Trump. But you can't create legislation, you can't create oversight that's meant to prevent Donald Trump getting reelected, right? That's that's not gonna work that way. And you know, like there's a lot of people who don't really care about privacy that much, or they might say they care about it, but that's not really the problem they're trying to solve. So we'll see. One more column topic. And by the way, your columns are great. They're very readable. They're not depressing like this conversation might seem. Um, innovation, if you're going to have innovation, do you have to have hucksters? And my answer is yes, because you always have hucksters wherever there's money to be made. And if there's innovation, there's going to be money and there's going to be money spent and money misappropriated. And why not participate in that? 
Um, so you were thinking about the WeWork guys, and you were thinking about the guy whose name I forgot who said he was making electric trucks, but really it was just a truck that someone was pushing. Right. Uh, Trevor Milton, the Vendik Nikola yeah. founder, right? It's, again, one of these topics that I sort of keep coming back to in various forms, but it's basically we have created a system where there's a lot of incentives for entrepreneurs and companies to come up with the most ambitious idea possible, right? And there's financial reasons for that, right? There's way more money just sloshing around out there looking for places to invest than there are good ideas to invest in. And they want world-changing ideas. They no want world-changing ideas, invest in a yes. better ice cream parlor. If it's, that's you know, right. That's right. It, it's boring. Nobody wants to invest in a company that says, you know, we're going to make it slightly easier for hair salons to book appointments. They say we are, I don't know, transforming the nature of work and hair. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is, you know, there's a lot of financial and cultural incentives to be as ambitious as possible, right? And we can see the downsides of that. You get people like Adam Newman at WeWork who basically takes a office subleasing company and imagines himself as sort of president of the world, as somebody who's you know, going to change the world's consciousness and, I don't know, own all the apartment complexes in the United States. You, you get these people who dream too big and crash and burn. But... I wonder if, you know, that same sort of quality where there's lots of incentives to dream the most ridiculous dreams possible, if that is also the same kinds of perverse incentives that do deliver real world-changing ideas. Tesla and other electric cars and uh, Google and Amazon, again, there are problems with all of those companies, but they are truly transformative ideas that at one point seemed ridiculous. 